are struggling. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also, Mike, web-slinging through these Oscar streets and making an Oscar profile out of something that may not be uh, the stereotypical Oscars-type movie. We have high hopes for it, and everybody else seemingly in the world is holding it in high regard currently. We are talking about Spider-Man No Way Home today, Michael. Yeah, the little movie that could <laughs> the Those got to be strong webs, by the way, if I'm slinging through the streets mm. right now. I'm... Uh... <laughs> I'm not I'm a little above my old playing weight, but I do think uh I do think the movie sphere is very happy right now. They're satiated, they're happy. We got some box office to talk about good critic scores. This is a crowd pleaser. This is a lot of fun. And I think I think we needed this at some point during the year where everybody's just like, Okay, great, movies. Again, movies. It just makes me happy. Paul Thomas Anderson's happy to see those numbers, but I, uh, <laughs> reading the report from Deadline, it seems like Spider-Man's taking all of the money and not <laughs> not raising any ships alongside with it. But uh, we will talk about that and more. If you've not joined us before for an Oscars profile, uh, you get two reviews for the price of one. So if you've not seen Spider-Man No Way Home yet, don't worry. We're not going to spoil it for you in the first half. It'll be all spoiler-free. We're going to talk about the box office, the performances, the Oscars lens all throughout. Then you will get a spoiler warning at the midway point of this episode, and we'll go in and out of the plot and all the twists and turns. And boy, does this movie have some of those in store. Can we uh, uh, set a half. framework, Mike? Are we going to spoil stuff based on the trailers or not because I, I like what everybody considers a, a spoiler is different out there and i know this annoys you that's why i want to get it out of the way but i think i think it's important like are we going to mention the no way home trailers and that information or not we could i i i mean i think i don't think it's possible to have a spoiler section without talking about the spoilers no, the, in this no movie. no no the non-spoiler section i don't care about it. i mean we're gonna spoil the shit out of the spoiler right, section. Right, right. i mean if you guys listen to the spoiler section after the you know the song where mike just yells spoilers for 20 minutes <laughs> then that's your fault <laughs> that classic hit yeah uh i'll follow your lead man however you want to handle it all right so i'll, I'll put it out this way Let's not spoil the trailers either, because I think people are phobic, and I think the whole thing, let's talk about box office, let's kind of talk about Oscar lens, and let's breeze through the non-spoiler section like only we could at Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We never <laughs> go over long in a non-spoiler never. section, ever. Of course not. Very okay. succinct and efficient. That's our middle name. Uh, so let's talk about <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home, and the critical reception has been quite high. The audience scores have been even higher. It's carrying a 72 metascore. How this has a lower metascore than West Side Story, I'll never understand. A 94% right now on Rotten Tomatoes, though, on 269 critic reviews. The audience scores are 100% on Rotten Tomatoes on 10,000 plus votes and a 9.1 on IMDb on 113,000 plus ratings right now. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes actually use Spider-Man No Way Home as a barometer if you're a fake or a real uh, audience <laughs> rating, correct? I mean, that's 100%. Right. Right, it's, it's, uh, they're letting bots rate, rate in on uh, and rank in on this. Uh... No, just if you are against Spider-Man No Way Home, Rotten Tomatoes doesn't want to hear from you. <laughs> Everybody's biased. No, I don't know. I don't know. How is it 100 percent on over 10,000 votes? It's insane. Because it's candy. This movie it's is candy. just straight candy. I it's think puppies and candy. If you, and, you can't dislike it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, nobody is disliking it, and a lot of people are getting the chance to dislike it because they're showing up to theaters, Mike. Yeah, it's. 
a box office projections odyssey because it, it's been vacillating. And mm. I had like this big presentation where I was like, well, on Wednesday, they're predicting this on f- Thursday, this it, who cares? Here's what it did. It already made over 121 million domestically in the U.S. alone, U.S. or North America alone, through Friday. So that's 50 million in Thursday night previews and 71 million on Friday, which is ludicrous and the second best of all time for a quote-unquote opening day, even though it's a night and a day. Uh, it's global take through Friday, and some markets opened up. It opened up on Wednesday, but through Friday globally. No Way Home has raked in $302 million, That's crazy. Uh, and it's probably going to head over $500 million globally on the weekend. And and somewhere between $240 and $250, the Hollywood Reporter just uh, released an article on Deadline, is reporting between $242 and $247 on a domestic weekend estimate. Yeah, two forty seven is two forty seven nine six six is what Star Wars Episode Seven opened with in its opening weekend. That's the third highest grossing domestic opening weekend of all time. So that's the type of uh, air we're talking about this movie with. And Spider Man broke records right from the start. It broke records for Thursday preview showings in the pandemic. It made fifty million dollars, which is also good for the third best preview night in cinematic history, as well as Sony's biggest preview showing box office ever. Uh, Mike's going to talk more about what Spidey films have done historically at the box office in a moment before the sake of pandemic and mcu comparisons according to deadline the previous pandemic preview high was black widow's 13.2 million which seems to pale in comparison when we're talking numbers we're talking about with spider-man now and sony's previous all-time preview high for thursday showing was 2017 spider-man homecoming that did 15.4 million so we're talking about more than a 3x multiple here people went back to movie theaters and yeah. whether or not they you know decided to eat licorice pizzas yet uh, that'll be something else that we'll, we'll, we'll get them riled up for in the future. I know you're with me on that, as That's, you've always uh, been. Just gagged, yeah. But uh, we'll get there. Uh, this is great. This is great for the movie business. So let, let's look at their history, though, because I think this is fascinating. This is the most consistent franchise ever and even though it's you know gone through multiple iterations which makes you wonder like why was it always changing hands why it makes no sense like sony should have just stuck with it and kept with it and all right fine 825 million in 2002 which is huge crazy considering yeah that's 19 years ago and all the inflation involved there mm-hmm. spider-man 2 in 2004 788 million worldwide it's a, that held up as a sequel uh, spider-man 3 in 2007 894 million so that's the raimi trilogy you would think the amazing spider-man would drop off absolutely not mm-hmm. 757.9 uh in 2012 for the first garfield film uh 708.9 for the second Amazing Spider-Man in 2014. Uh, so why did they stop that one to a halt? I don't know. I mean, seven 700 million is nothing to sneeze at, but mm-hmm. okay. Spider-Man Homecoming, the MCU, obviously we covered it during our MCU rewatch series a couple years ago. Homecoming debuts to $880 million with Tom Holland after Crazy. Civil War there. And we have Spider-Verse as a Sony offshoot. That's what they focused on. They're still happy. 375 for an animated film. Oscar winner. And then Spider-Man Far From Home, Michael. 2019, $1.131 billion. And this one's going to beat it, most likely. Uh, no Way Home. Yeah, I, I, I didn't do the head-to-head, but this is like, 
gotta be comparable, even more so, more favorable than James Bond. I mean, we talked about Bond's box office numbers, and he didn't have that many that were in, like, the 800 million plus range, and every Spider-Man iteration is at least sniffing that number, if not blowing right past it. So this is... You're right. One of the most lucrative franchises, if not the most lucrative franchise in Hollywood history. Uh, the plot premise for this one, which is supposedly the last time we're going to have Spidey in the MCU, at least for the foreseeable future, as he gets handed off uh, in whole cloth over back to Sony now. But here's the premise. With Spider-Man's identity now revealed, Peter asks Doctor Strange for help. When a spell goes wrong, dangerous fro- foes from other worlds start to appear, forcing Peter to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man. And again, we're not going to discuss any of those foes for now. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk Doctor Strange, but that'll be as far as we go. We're not going to spoil those trailers, Michael. So look, let, let's talk about our movie-going experiences because they were fun, man. I think uh, I had a good crowd on Thursday night, but it wasn't like the sellout I expected necessarily. So I was a little worried. I saw it again Friday morning. I played hooky. I just messed around and I, I sit down in a, in a jam-packed theater like there's no seats available I actually timed it right so I didn't have to watch many of the trailers I sit down and I get a whisper from the guy next to me he's he's like uh did you see it last night I was like yeah how'd you know and I turn and it's my friend Mark <laughs> I just sit down next to a friend he's really my bu- one of my brother's best friends and I've known him for a while and uh, yeah my god I just hey <laughs> we Patrick both Swayze from Ghost. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, but your the, your Thursday showing the theater wasn't packed. It was crowded, but it was no, it was not super That's duper surprising. packed. That was surprising. So yours your yours was. Yeah, I saw it midday Friday, like a twelve forty five showing, and it was sold out. I mean, it was sold out beyond sold out, and it was sold out in like a few of the movie theaters in Southern Connecticut, because I was trying to look for that time frame in a couple different theaters and everything like anything with a decent seat wasn't available. I ended up sitting pretty much in like a third to the front row of where I ended up going. I finally found one, but yeah, it was, I mean, this was loaded. I'm was not surprised at all to hear what the numbers that this one's doing in the preview showings and it's Friday showings. Yeah. It was a good crowd uh, where I was at or both, both times uh, the crowd was rowdy, which Same. I expected. I, I, I wondered if I was going to be rowdy, I was not, but I was I, w- I was happy. I was reacting, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, Mike. These Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, I could just, like, take a breath, and I can relax, and I can enjoy. I don't know mm-hmm. why, but, I, but for whatever reason, none of these movies I've gone into, like, with a worry in the world. I know some people take these more seriously, though. Are you in that boat, or are you kind of just, all right, I'm going to have a good time? I mean, with this one especially, I was expecting just to sit back and relax and like gorge myself on ice cream. And can- this is this was candy. This movie was candy, and I think it's candy for anyone who's kind of followed this uh, Spidey trilogy or this even the MCU in total. Well, the guy who directed the last two uh, home movies of this uh, Tom Holland series is back. John Watts of Cop Car. Go figure. He directed these. They find these guys at the at Marvel from the weirdest places. But Kevin Bacon's Cop Car becomes all three Spider Mans and the upcoming Fantastic Four. Go figure. Uh, mm. Writers Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. They have now written all three Spider-Man movies here at the MCU. Uh, They wrote the new Jumanji uh, reboot, Welcome to the Jungle, Ant-Man 2 as well. I I think they wrote some some community episodes, these two guys. Mm. They're they're from that tree. Look, Mike, I I was worried about a messy composition, a convoluted story 
because we have Doctor Strange involved. We have the upcoming Multiverse of Madness. I didn't know if we were going to go in too many directions. Like, the trailer was a little weird, right? But Mm -hmm. this is a much simpler, much more linear structure than I thought. And that's just so Disney in in this instance. I think they boiled down a simple, fun, slash, insanely lucrative story idea, and then they just milk it for all it's worth. And God (laughs) bless them. Uh, Speaking of Fantastic Four, did you hear the new rumor about who uh, the Reed Richards casting may be? That's not John Krasinski? No. I saw this on TikTok. Somebody's saying Glenn Howerton. Interesting. Dennis that, from Always Sunny. <laughs> that is uh I I hope he's I hope he's in, he's the same guy. I hope it's really Dennis <laughs> from Always Sunny. Like that's what I want. My rage knows no bounds. <laughs> just um, do it. Just just at, just have Dennis. Just have turn them into... be the Fantastic Four. Have the gang. <laughs> Who's not watching that movie? Um, a lot of people, though, Mike. A lot not, of people well, are not wrong. watching they're, that movie. That show they're, they're has had an expiration date for, uh, a couple wrong, of years and ago. I hate them. <laughs> um, We're stuck in time. We're stuck in a previous <laughs> universe, really. Time as line. far as uh, this script, like this is how I know story matters to the Academy and why I know we're right about like West side story and stuff like that. When we folk hyper, are you going to keep taking shots? Yeah, I am like every episode right now until yes, Mm -hmm. because this, like this story does a yada, like a lot of yada, yada ing and it's fine. And I don't care, but like, that's gotta be the part of the reason why it's not going to be close to considered for a best picture at all right like it's emotionally investing for people that because of nostalgia and longevity's sake but like yeah there's a total there's a lot of plot holes and i didn't give two cents about them and apparently a lot of people don't care about them at all because it's like whatever this isn't a movie you come to for the intricate plot details and like you said you come for the coming of age story and you just come for the fudge the the sweetness just give me that sweet candy let me sit back and get fat and indulge and let me see you know give me fanfare give me play to the crowd that you know you're getting in there and Watts has been able to deliver that for like three Spider-Man films now, and he's just a guy who gets it. And in the same way, Kathleen Kennedy keeps J.J. Abrams around because J.J. Abrams sticks to the Star Wars basics for better and for worse. I think Amy Pascal should be doing the same with John Watts, Chris McKenna, and Eric Summers. These guys just get it. They know what the fans of this property want to see, and they give it to them. I think they get the big things right and they prioritize. So the fact that you have a plot device that gets you from A to B or from wherever on the alphabet uh, from one spot to another, that's it's okay to to screw around with that and have some MacGuffins. It's okay to have sorcery. It's okay to have these just, like you say, yada yada moments mm. for Disney and, and for Marvel because they joke away the obvious objections or they just they make you laugh or they 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 give you the sweetness and that's fine what's important is that they make these characters relatable they make you care about the characters and they keep the plot something able to follow and unable to predict for the most part and that's 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 extremely important i i look back to the previous few films in this franchise far from home could not predict where that was going. Homecoming the same way. You get those wow moments. And you get the relatability 
to the coming of age storylines with this, especially mm-hmm. this Tom Holland Spider-Man, which we were so refreshed to get as a high school kid or someone who seemed like a high school kid. And the fact that he is early 20s and he's playing very late teens, it's it's more workable than Andrew Garfield in his early 30s walking around a high school uh, hallway there, which was just silliness. So I, I just Tom think Holland's they got 25, right. though. I didn't realize that. He's 25 years old. Oh. Huh. Yeah, I didn't realize. Okay, so maybe I thought he was. I like you. I thought he was like 22 until I looked it up the other day. I was like, oh, He's a baby face. Wow. I guess I I can't figure out everybody's age based on (laughs) one glance like I thought I was empowered to do. Just, I don't don't know why. It's not why, why would I think I'm that arrogant? But look, I mean, he's, he's starting his social life in Homecoming. He goes to his first party he goes to his first field trip to his first prom and far from home he takes his first trip to europe he falls in love for the first time in no way home he's now applying to college he's dealing with all the anxieties of going from high school and taking the next step but instead of a sex odyssey with uh, pies he's you know fighting bad guys <laughs> super villains and that's I, I mean disney knows what they're doing they yeah. know what they're doing to make these storylines work. And this felt very Disney. This felt very MCU and Marvel, like all the hallmarks and pillars of what they've built this entire billion dollar per movie, you know, upside with. They, they applied it all this this film. And this was Tom Holland's best performance as Peter Parker, too, of the three movies or the six appearances of him as Peter Parker, I thought. I mean, it was emotionally captivating and he was very good at at relaying that emotion. And I think he was, I mean, when you're playing off a pro's pro like Zendaya, my God, I don't, Zendaya might be the best actress in Hollywood right now. I mean, she's so good. She is so different too than her other yeah. roles. So it's yeah, just, that's what I mean. It's one hell of a an acting performance here, and it's one hell of a disparity between this and Dune. What we just saw her in Dune, Absolutely. obviously her Malcolm and her Marie character and Malcolm and Marie. My goodness, you Zendaya can't get can play any age between like fourteen and sixty, and I would believe it. I'm a huge fan. I love the shy, gawky, smart kid delivery. It sounds mm-hmm. like a lot of kids I work with there. Uh, and But she has this inherent wisdom to her where she can tell off an adult. And at the mm-hmm. same time, she's right there with Peter making dumbass decisions and over looking or you know not thinking about sim- simple things which is which is a lot of fun which you know kids are kids yeah. i'm also very impressed with jacob Batalon. he's got some real samuel tarley from game of thrones <laughs> potential to Batalon as ned uh he's got jokes to his character but it's not merely a comic relief role he's got a lot of substance to that character as well there's a lot of allusions to uh you know some comic book things that that you'll realize and i just i'm a big fan i'm a big fan of this kid as an actor i mean i he's you know other characters will just lean into the shtick but he doesn't he he handles the both kinds of scenes well i thought they were gonna tease more tension between uh Badalon's character and 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 holland's character but eh, it wasn't to be this was just like a fun teen coming of age movie and relying on your friends and stuff like that um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But again, like, you know, all the performances had to be were like C pluses for me to buy into this. And they were better than that. But way better. Yeah. It's not why you, you came to this movie, I don't think. And you came for just the, the sweetness. Let's uh, let's talk about production values. There were two standouts for you, Mike. 
VFX, I think, are awardable, and mm. a lot of pundits seem to be agreeing with me. Clayton Davis's prediction. I don't and, see why not. Yeah, he's got it in his top ten. Uh, he's got it number two on his overall list right now for VFX. And I think there's precedent. There's precedent, uh, as we'll get into in a second. But the stunt work mixed with the practical effects, the Academy loves that. And mm-hmm. there's some real WWE fight scenes and fight choreography in this movie that you must have loved, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, this is everything I wanted from a Spider-Man movie on a lot of levels. And uh, the VFX falls into that. Last year's Oscars was only the third year since 2010 in which no Marvel movie was nominated in the VFX category. So the Academy obviously takes notice of them. How could they not? I mean, they're the best VFX of the year, year in, year out. And they've also not been scared to nominate some of the more obscure standalone MCU titles, if such a thing exists as an obscure standalone MCU title with all the money these things make. Doctor Strange got a nom, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 got a nom uh, in the VFX category, and as well as the more collaborative and bigger box office efforts like every Avengers movie, except for Ultron. I think the question's going to be, like, cannibalization again. Are these effects better than Shang-Chi's? Are they better than the Eternals? Will the Academy actually go out of their way to nominate two Marvel movies? Will there be cannibalization if that happens? All of that still remains to be seen, but on the whole, I think these were the best uh, effects and the best combination of two. I mean, Shang-Chi was really, really cool, especially knowing that the the trolley scene in Shang-Chi was practical and they did it in real time, but I I would take these over what I saw from anything Marvel-wise, including Black Widow this year so far. Tough calls. Uh, I I will agree with you that uh, the highs of Shang-Chi are, are pretty spectacular, yeah. but there's also some lows. Like, they mm-hmm. get to the last act of the film, and there's some awkward right. moments there upon rewatch, at least on my non-4K TV at home. So I don't know if that's a factor. I remember I remember us gushing about it yeah. with the big screen in the theater, so maybe, maybe it's just I'm overthinking it. Uh, I, I love the Eternals effects. I loved how Chloe Zhao melded those together with the you know the the magic hour realism and all the uh, the landscapes there from North Dakota on down to, into the cities. However, that movie's probably you know out of momentum. This is the huge movie that I'm guessing the Academy would want to appreciate the most if it, if it makes the 1.4 billion as we're expecting it to make. So, my guess is this is the movie that gets nominated. And this is actually an Oscars profile for Spider-Man No Way Home today. The other production value, though, that I remembered, Mike, uh, and I, I'm i score deaf for whatever reason after first glance, but I love this Spider-Man score in the MCU. I was listening to it all morning from your guy, Michael Giacchino! <laughs> Michael Giacchino, who's just having so much fun with this and i tried to like cross check this score with other scores i I don't know if it got that deep but i'm I'm awaiting that article give me the note give me the musical article on jacchino's score here and other scores the the spider-man no way home score was better and more intricate than even you realized here's 72 easter eggs that buzzfeed article that like i want that article just a musical but i i don't have the musical recalls what i'm trying to say nor do i nor nor can i tell even though i tried but uh that's all i'll say for now i think uh I think I think the production values are super strong. Do you have any more takeaways, or do you want to discuss them as an Oscar lens? No, uh, we could talk about them in an Oscar lens. I like, like you. I mean, this seems like a layup to nominate this in VFX, especially if the Academy wants to like highlight. Look, theaters are alive and thriving after all we've been through in the last two years, going on three years now. So I don't see why this wouldn't get nominated, and it's not like you even need to have the narrative attached to it. These are just great. 
I think the Raimi trilogy did better with sound because he kind of focused on that with, you know, like Doc Ock ripping up the skyscrapers and you're, you're, we're up close and personal with all of those fight scenes. Mm. But Spider-Man 2 got both editing and mixing in 2004. Uh, it, it won VFX in 2004 with the Doc Ock's uh, effects and Spider-Man also got effects nominated in 2002. Otherwise, Spider-Verse got obviously won Best Animated Feature in 2018. There's precedent. Uh, yeah, I think uh, VFX will get nominated, and I think the industry will be more than happy to say Tom Holland can present at the Academy Awards this year. And then it loses to Dune. <laughs> and it loses to Dune is absolutely what's going to happen. 100%. I mean, no surprise. Go watch this movie, right? Absolutely. Watch yeah. this movie. Be happy. Eat candy. Watch mm-hmm. candy. Candy. Yes. Agree. Let's spoil it. Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for Spider-Man No Way Home, the Oscars profile episode brought to you by Mike Mike and Oscar. Uh, If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause. Go check out your local theater. Go take it in. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back to hit play on us. If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, this is where you want to be. All spoilers as we talk about the ins and outs of the plots of Spider-Man No Way Home. And there were a couple plots to go through, Mike. So where do you want to start? I kind of want to ease into it uh for the people i don't know how long of a spoiler thing you play today so let me ease into it but obviously we're gonna get into all these big spoilers but dr strange i worried they were gonna get too strange with the dr strange stuff like i said in non-spoilers so as an immediate carryover this plot line could have gotten frayed it could have gotten fractaled with like the you know parallel dimension stuff really gotten weird they just kind of played the hits with the Doctor Strange stuff. Like, they put him out of the body. They went into the other dimension for a minute. The mirror dimension. And we have an Inception sequence. That's fine. I don't need it. But and it came fine. from out of nowhere. I mean, that's part of the stuff that's yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, now we're in the mirror dimension. I'm in control now. Okay. <laughs> sure. I'm not a huge fan of that in here. But, oh, it's geometry. Great. Fine. All right. Good. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Pay attention in your math classes, kids, and do your geometry. Great. Uh But they have six characters that they're trying to add, and a seventh if you count the Stinger scene. Six characters added to this plot. They're not going to spend a whole movie on Peter Parker and Stephen Strange. So he's just kind of the wizard that he visits, and that's great. So you marketed the movie on kind of that team-up leading into Otto Octavius and the Green Goblin, and that's and, and that's all you needed to market the movie to a billion dollar plus, a billion five, whatever, box office so now we get these six characters added and they did a great job balancing all of that characterization which we have seen just i mean we have seen much worse writing jobs for the rest of the year yeah i mean Other we've movies. seen this fail a couple times with people where these superhero movies try to stuff in a billion different characters and you know sometimes there's hits and sometimes there's misses it obviously helps that you know the big spoiler about this one is that you're tying in the two previous spider-man franchises and so everyone has familiarity and that's the big draw and that's what's getting people in the theater in the first place so like half the work might be done for you but like you said it's it's a pared down script it's very linear it's very easy to follow and it's you're just getting pretty much what you expect so I think what we were all delighted by is we got like an hour with the villains. Like we get a half hour coming off of 
the last movie, we deal with the big Mysterio thing. We have Doctor Strange. That's like the first 20 minutes, half hour. And then we get an hour with these villains from the last from the last uh, few series. It's Doc Ock, then it's briefly with the Green Goblin, then it's a lot of uh, Sandman and Electro and, you know, the Lizard there. We, we get a, a while with them, with, you know, Strange coming in with the cameos. But then we get an hour with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, and that's not what I expected. I expected them to make a cameo, maybe to have like something at the end of Endgame with like a big sequence where they fight together. I expected that, but I did not expect, oh my God, three Spider-Men, and these two are mentoring the younger Spider-Man for a full hour. I kind of did because it's a big deal if you're going to pull that off. I mean, I'm happy we got it. And I think some of the most creative scenes of the year are because we had so much time. Like that scene where the three of them are just all talking and like sharing their experiences as Spider-Man and the top of the Statue of Liberty. I could have have a 90-minute movie of just that conversation. Give me a podcast of Right, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I like that 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 was like a self-indulgent clip. You don't usually expect something like that from this type of movie, but this isn't any type of movie we've really seen before. Uh, No, I was all for it. I'm with it was just it was just great to see i do wonder and i made this joke to swell last night because she had just seen the movie last night herself i was like i would have loved to been a fly on the wall in the negotiations with toby mcguire (laughs) because he had to have been like look i'll do it but you're paying me zillions of dollars and you're getting one shot of me in the suit (laughs) i'll put the suit on one time get your shots in and that's it because i (laughs) there were two people in this movie I felt like we're here just for the checks more than anything, which why not? But like Jamie Foxx was such a departure from that character who he was in amazing Spider-Man Two. I mean, he was like in this for, he reminded me of Chris Tucker from rush hour with this, with this uh, character he was playing in this movie. He was just in it for the one liners and he was just kind of going through the motions. I felt like, and Tobey Maguire was the other one, even though he plays a more emotionally hefty role, I thought, but like, Whatever. I don't care. Do I care about any of this? No. I just want to see them all in the same movie. I think there was some negotiations uh, in the in the in the lead up there to where we have Tobey Maguire avoiding a lot of the gifts that he became since then, and mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield accentuating what he's kind of doing this season in many ways. And then you're right, Jamie Foxx is cool, and that's it. He doesn't play the nerdy part at mm-hmm. all. I I agree with how they handle it. They they really accentuated the best things about those characters, and they avoided even overdoing some of the pot shots. Like they took a couple pot shots to hey, be careful where you fall, which was a yeah. great joke between <laughs> villains. <laughs> how did you? I fell into a vat of electric yeah, heels. How I did like you? That. I fell into it. Yeah, be careful. That's the other thing. There was a lot of there was a lot of comedy in this movie. For sure, a lot of good jokes that worked. They you know nothing like had me in stitches, but no. I just continually oh that's cute, that's adorable, yeah. that's corny, that's uh, good. But they didn't come close to any criticism. Now you could say that's it's kind of a puff piece to the old Sony films, and and I, I, I you know so if you wanted more you know biting satire, I guess you know you'd have to go elsewhere. I think. I think Spider-Verse did a better job of that. Like, Spider-Verse, kind of Sony on Sony satire, that was yeah. that was funnier to have, like, a dancing Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse cutaway. Yeah, this was an homage. I mean, right. this, was, this, was, this was, like, the three Peter Parkers here were the id, ego and superego, I thought. Like, you have Tom Holland, who was, like, the pragmatic one. Tobey Maguire is supposed to be the older, wiser, sage one who's, like 
you know, the older brother of all of them, that vengeance gets you nowhere. And then Andrew Garfield is the one who's more emotionally invested in everything. And, and I guess based on what happened in their respective movies, Andrew Garfield would have a reason to be a more emotionally broken Peter Parker because he lost his his uh, fiance, I guess. And the other two haven't had that loss, even though they lost Uncle Ben and Aunt May respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just all it all worked. I thought it was kind of a tongue in cheek joke at Garfield's expense. I think he was in on the joke. I loved it, and I love Tobey Maguire being like the the conscious here and, and being the one that actually has to like physically restrain Tom Holland from doing what he does at the end. I don't know if I expected the big emotional sequence to be as long in this movie. I, I remember previous films. I mean, there's a there's obviously a Dark Knight of the Soul. You know, after he gets his ass whooped by Michael Keaton in the first Mm -hmm. one. And then again, uh, you know, in Europe, there's moments, there's scenes, but there's like a middle 20 minutes where we we don't have a lot of jokes. And I thought they pulled it off. Like to Tom Holland's acting was excellent. He just, he didn't contort his face. He just was stone faced and kind of teary eyed there. I I, I thought that worked. I I think Tobey Maguire really restrained himself. And then I think, you know, Andrew Garfield's like, hey, I'm also eligible for an Oscar. Here's my (laughs) control, my perfect control of my tear ducts in every single shot to where even Sterling K. Brown's like, enough, dude, we get it. (laughs) I also like that the script afforded these guys like make goods on their previous movies too. Tobey Maguire has become so wise because he realizes vengeance and anger isn't the way to, you know, it's not the path of the Jedi, essentially. Right. And he needs to like relay that information to a young Tom Holland. Uh, obviously, Andrew Garfield gets a make good for losing Gwen Stacy by being the one to save Zendaya. I really like that. I thought that was a nice touch, a nice homage, even though I was upset that Emma Stone didn't come back as Venom. Uh, there was <laughs> there was just great stuff all throughout this script. I do think if I want to talk about a detriment, I know we're not like necessarily going into the low lights right away, but did it need to be 150 minutes? I I, I, thought, I did feel it being a little long, especially in the part where uh, Peter's trying to cure everyone in the apartment and the, we have to pretend these bad guys are going to stay good for the entirety of the film. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know that anyone actually bought that. I was losing myself a little bit there. I don't know that that was necessary. Just let him, let him be bad. That's what we're all here for. I'll tell you this much, though. I think they could have overplotted the movie at a two-hour and 30-minute runtime. Sure. If anything, they let it breathe. And I agree with you. They might have let too many sequences breathe too much in a way. But that's been a Disney factor for a while. Like, they 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 kind of get to the point in the big emotional you know, rooftop scene to where, like, all right, that's economy at its best. I mean, the Uncle Ben commiseration speeches, mm-hmm. I love that. Yep. But then they'll take the time to let the jokes play. Like, oh, here's the web shooting arm stuff. Does it come out of your wrists or does it come out of more? <laughs> like, I, you know, here's the, you know, them talking about the anecdote with Ned and, uh, you know, by the way, my best friend, he turned into a villain and tried to kill mm. me and then Ned later. But they take their time with that stuff, maybe maybe to a fault, to where you have a couple of corny jokes early on with like, oh, well, here's all the old characters from the first movie. And, you know, this is a very stupid joke. Not Tiger, but Spider. And, all right, mm-hmm. Jesus. I wanted to... <laughs> I, that was my only cringy moment in, 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 the, in the first act. And you're right. I think... I think they spread it a little too thin at a few times, but I, I would say maybe 10 minutes off, it would have been the perfect. I don't know. I think they let this breathe and the pacing was maybe a B for me. It wasn't an A yeah. plus, but it was like a B. I, I'm okay yeah. with it. 
And again, it's like, I don't make the story believable enough for the Spider-Man universe. And I'm, I'm, I'm in for the ride. Yeah, so the, there's a lot of best. There's a lot of best that we can kind of just rip off. I mean, the the back cracking scene <laughs> between everything Toby with the Andrew. three Peters was perfect. Every, awesome. I like, I loved it. And I again, you said a podcast. Yeah, just give me the three of those guys talking about being Spider Man, either in the world or out of character, and I'm I'm listening to it. You're in so much pain, aren't you? Just ridiculous. <laughs> like, ridiculous. like that's perfect... absolutely. And he doesn't even have a wound. That was the best part. He like got stabbed in the torso. Stabbed. Something important is is. <laughs> dangerously injured there uh and we don't deal with it at all i mean i but i don't care because they made me laugh so that's the thing like uh, this is marvel 101 Mm -hmm. maybe if west side story why am i doing this too now we're gonna pile on because west side story sucked if they made us laugh but okay we have jokes with all the old villains i mean lizard has a couple of jokes to him sandman uh i mean he's kind of in between being jokey and being serious, we don't get into his. I was surprised it much. was actually Thomas Hayden Church at the end. I thought sure it was gonna they just hired somebody else to do the voice of Sandman and used Hayden Church's likeness. I'm surprised he actually made a cameo because I didn't think it was him. I, I thought they were going it. out of their way to keep him as the Sandman character so they didn't have to show that Thomas Hayden Church didn't sign on. He's one of my favorites in in, in the business as just a presence, but he yeah. he sits down on Happy's couch and goofs it up. That's <laughs> great. Uh, Doc Ock I thought was handled. Very well early, and then they kind of annoyed me with his day excess machina timing later. Like, or we get it. You turned him good, but then he just goes away for a while, and then he comes back at the perfect time. But I love the writing with the nanobots, because that was one of my favorite sequences of the movie when you got the rescue of the uh, college administrator on the bridge there. Yep. Crazy-ass fight scene, which is what? You know, Doc Ock was known for in Spider-Man 2. Those up the skyscraper fight scenes were awesome. They yes. still are. They still hold up. So that's that's why it was nominated for a, a VFX. That's why it won, excuse me. The it's VFX. also interesting to hear uh, Tom Holland, I think he was on James Corden's show or something, talking about uh, the, the update in technology with how Alfred Molina had the Doc Ock character because in the 2004 Spider-Man 2, he was, those were practical arms and they were actually attached to him. And then in this movie, VFX have come so far, they just had him on like this this toothpick crane where he was <laughs> attached and they added the arms in afterwards. And Tom Holland was talk, telling a, an anecdote about how he would be talking to Alfred Molina before the set, before uh, action, and they were just shooting the shit. And then <laughs> somebody would control the crane and just take Molina out of the conversation and up into the air. And he'd be like, well, guess I'll see you later. <laughs> Who's the giant in the WWE or used to be paul something paul white paul white like paul white big, just has him show. in a yeah. baby bjorn right and he's <laughs> right. in but he's in a green onesie green screen onesie exactly and yeah, he's walking around no, no i i i loved i loved the doc ock stuff for most of it i thought he he does a great job and it's like he did selling the comic booky dialogue and that's that's the that's the wonder of having like these academy level Academy Award winning level actors handling all this stuff. You like how many Oscar winners can you get to be your villains and choose scenery? But also when it's time, as they said on the big picture, when it's time for a big emotional scene, my God, do they nail it? I, and, and nobody better than Willem Dafoe, but Jamie he should Fox, be nominated. Yeah, but Jamie <laughs> Foxx has got little moments and he's nailing them. And then yeah, Willem Dafoe, like there's a couple of Willem Dafoe is so good. Like 
Andrew Garfield and Willem Dafoe were like, oh, yeah, oh, I can be a meme again. That's cool. I'm down. <laughs> like, they just leaned so heavily. Willem Dafoe, I think that's why they had him get rid of the mask. Could just, just be Willem Dafoe. Your face is creepy enough when you're like that. He was great. How about uh, Electro? Let's let's pause for Electro for a second because he's got some cool-ass scenes in the woods. I loved that sequence because it reminded me of Spider-Verse and the Great Woods sequence that we had in there uh it's funny because he's got you know the phone duct tape to his chest tom holland and then then he's talking to his idiot friends on the other line and he's got these two crazy ass fights with the sandman and electro and it's just very economical but then it's it's cool and you end with a with a joke i think they they wrote him too cool but yeah jamie fox was hysterical on this without question I think it's tough to get Willem Dafoe in like into this universe. How do you act against him? Yeah, but (laughs) I mean, think about think about the difference in tone from the Raimi Spider Man to these, and yet all of these guys, despite the tonal differences of the previous films, like they're they're closer to you know Tim Burton movies than they are to Mm -hmm. MCU films, right? So you bring their, you know, acting into this and they kind of serioused it up to a degree, especially in Defoe's case. Like I thought he was he was much more polished and when he turned on the you know the the the, the Gollum dichotomy there, which was just <laughs> great. And then you have like just worth the price of admission visuals. Like when he gets it's just ridiculous that it happens this way. When he gets the Belichick hoodie, Willem Dafoe. I love that. And you have the the iconic green goblin without the helmet but with the hoodie, you know, I tatters. Will, I will PayPal or or Venmo somebody ten dollars that can find that purple hoodie in the wild. He does like not that doesn't need, exist. <laughs> he does not need a helmet. All he needs is a purple hoodie like that and it, it it's tattered up like the costume department just mwah. Thank yeah. you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he he was he was great. I think I just I have such a high respect for everyone being I wonder what the ne- negotiations to make this were. What's the backup plan if any one character says no? If any one actor says they don't want to come back for this. Never mind if Toby Maguire or Andrew Garfield's like, nah, I I can't do it. I just can't do it. I, I don't know what how long would this have stayed in production otherwise? I it's guess a, kind of a minor miracle this came together the way it did. I guess they could have had Doc Ock be the hammer spot and then you know they could have like shifted him up and maybe taken one more and put him at like Ryan, like I I didn't want to see Paul Giamatti <laughs> as Rhino in the early but whatever they had a couple yeah. maybe backups for the for the 1 2 3 and then the fourth was Goblin. But I'm glad the Goblin was the hammer spot cuz to see that glider put back yeah. into play that was one of the scarier I mean, I grew up on that Tobey Maguire right. Spider-Man. So that to see that so cool, so scary, and also to make the Gollum multiple personality stuff work into this plot, to have a great performance from Defoe, and then to and have kick-ass fight scenes involving Willem Defoe, where I think Martin Scorsese, you shit on Marvel movies, but you got to learn from this man yeah. because you have De Niro, who's seventy-five years old, actually his physical body trying to kick a grocery store clerk, but here you have stunt doubles doing WWE moves at one point five x speed, yeah, which. They go back and forth to master shots and close-ups of Defoe, but you're not relying on Willem Defoe's physicality. You're relying on the stunt team. The camera. You're relying on moving the camera a million miles an hour so you never see anything. Yeah, That's the uh, difference. And, 
And you have emotional heft uh, tied into the plot, too, because Willem Dafoe directly is responsible for killing Aunt May. It's it's an incredible uh, high-wire act between story, being economical with it, having the time and the and the tonal understanding. I mean, that's why they have such a factory of being able to mm-hmm. produce these things. And they, they probably got formula, like, all right, we got a six-character script. Here's our <laughs> template for a six-character. Just a, thumbing yeah. their nose at the Justice League. They, they know exactly how to do it right now. So they, oh, this is character 1A. Like, uh, that's what my brain. I think about the index card carding of it all. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled they just nailed it uh, overall. I, I loved I loved a lot of things about the ending, Mike. I have a few qualms with the ending. I don't care about the negatives as much, but I, I, I will say just the Spider-Man hug, the Spider-Man working together after it all. I mean, that's worth the price of admission, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I'm talking about. That's the, the candy. And actually, I didn't have any kind of standout WTF moments until the, the first post-mid-credit scene. That was my okay. only thing that like struck me odd, and I think it kind of disrupted my digestion of the story. I think if the story were ever not linear, I think it was having to do with uh, Tom Hardy's Well, have you the seen credit. the Venom, the second Venom yet? No, but I know what happens. So the second, at the end of the second Venom, it ties to that scene. Yes. I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but... No, I, but I, I, I knew don't that. Under- yeah, I don't understand how. That's exactly. That's what I mean. Like I so, And it seemed to me, the way that that scene was handled, it seemed like that was Sony giving marvel something because let me talk about what i think happened and then i'll talk about what didn't make sense to me so when tom when tom hardy gets zapped back to his world he leaves behind that piece of symbiote right that uh-huh. we see crawl on the end on the bar top hopefully I think that danny was, rojas gets it sure and i think sure that, that was happens. that was sony saying you know here marvel you could have this symbiote you can play with it in your own universe and maybe there's a, a character lending thing of a different type of venom that's going to appear in the mcu that's not going to be eddie brock what I didn't understand is if you end this movie with everybody just forgets who Peter Parker is, Tom Holland's Peter Parker, and he stays in this world, why is Eddie Brock leaving this world? I don't understand where Eddie Brock is from. Like, yeah, that's, a, that's it doesn't make sense to me. Shouldn't they end up in the same world? Did Eddie Brock, Tom Hardy, come from... Did they show him at the end of Venom 2 go and, like white light to the to this world and then i don't think so but i haven't seen the movie the screen crush explanation was that there's a venom hive mind that the venom talks about in that scene to -hmm. where he the hive mind knows but if that's the case then how come every symbiote didn't just come to to this area like that doesn't make any sense or maybe like wouldn't it have made more sense to zap tom holland to a different universe I don't get it. I obviously it was very convenient to have the six exact characters, seven, six plus characters come there and only those six plus characters. Sure. Oh, they squeak through. Right, right. <laughs> but that's fine. I don't really dig at it that much. I don't think about it too hard because I got Basil Exposition in my brain <laughs> making me laugh, you know, just saying, ah, I don't think about it too hard because here are these funny jokes. Hey, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah. It's one of those situations. I I do want to, you know, call out a couple of things that did make me a little mm-hmm. annoyed. But for but only but again, only for a second because I know where they're going and I mm-hmm. I know they got to kind of yada yada some things. Like why didn't Tom Holland just 
sit there and wait. And after they all just like, hey, where am I? Or, hey, I didn't know about a Spider-Man. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at voiceovering this. Which part? Which part? Why didn't he just stick around? And after Zendaya, a- after MJ, Stephen Strange, and Ned forget him, he's there and say, and he could have been like, oh, hey. And they're like, who are you? And he's like explaining to them. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> if a man walks up to you on the streets of New York City dressed as Spider-Man bleeding from the head and tries to tell you he's your best friend. <laughs> no, but if you know you just had a trauma or you just had a, you just finished an action sequence that we finished at the end of, you know, this movie, No Way Home. And all of a sudden, you know, you see a hero there and he's a web-slinging Spider-Man. That's going <laughs> to leave still, an impression. I still don't think you would have believed it. I wouldn't believe that. <laughs> but at least you're saying, who is this guy? You're like, you're a crazy person. <laughs> he could have he explained it. He could have stayed there and just explained it. Oh, hey, we just cast the spell. Doctor yeah, Strange might have locked MJ him up. MJ backs away slowly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> All right, fine. Maybe I'm a little off base there, but I enjoyed I enjoyed the finale. I did not enjoy Tobey Maguire's performance as he held the shield or held the glider. <laughs> like what like what face was he making? Is that his sex face? That's my it fear. Was a- that's it was a make good for the faces he had to make during right. the jazz routine in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> the jazz routine, the constipate. Remember the yeah. stopping the train? Right. <laughs> Constipation face yeah. and then the ugly crying face. Like he could have went to he could have went to many of his BAFTA trophy faces, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But he did not. He just blank cult follower face. I don't even know what he was doing. Uh, I mean, that's I mean, I guess if you could keep that calm when you're Saving somebody's life, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> While you're about to get stabbed, knowing you're that vulnerable. Anyway, right. uh, I really enjoyed a few more scenes. I'll bounce around for a second, Mike. We have MJ and her motion sickness early on. We have the uh, the teachers and the the trophy case, J.B. Smoove, Hannibal Burris, Martin Starr. Hannibal Star. was hilarious in that scene. <laughs> We have everything at Happy's apartment, and John Favreau gets some good jokes in there. Especially he's, in, he's got the, you know, the machine, the sleep the machine. CPAP machine, yeah, <laughs> love that. Uh, so I mean, we get so many moments in this movie that are just like throwaway scenes that are just fun. That like the basement at Doctor Strange's lair. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, a you're in a wizard's. You're in a wizard's dungeon. <laughs> wizard's dungeon. Like all that stuff is fun. I mean, just to, to be able to play around in the world, Disney gave themselves breathing room to do that. But there's also, you know, some subtractions. Like there's there's a fabricator, which of course is a super villain antidote easy bake oven <laughs> from Tony Stark. The ultimate Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. It just happens to be there, and all you got to do is hit the button, and it does everything How for you. How dare we not be enraged by this <laughs> screenwriting? Well, that's why. Yeah, I mean, it's a get-out-of-jail-free yeah. card, but that's also why this isn't like an A movie. Exactly. So the, the, the yada yadaing of that mm-hmm. is uh, is silly, completely silly. And, that, and that's why like my final grade probably won't be a critic score that is as high as my if grade if it was like an audience of me score so that's where I'm, I'm i'm debating like how can i rank this higher than these other movies but i know that the the fun i had 
should be ranked quite as high, but you would give Gucci an A plus. So I don't want to <laughs> encourage you to do that. Like that's the thing. Like if we have a favorite movies of the year, this is probably in my top right. three. If we have a best movies of the year, this is probably in my top fifteen. That's probably where I end up. Yeah, I'm probably similar to you. I mean, I I have it as like an eighty six, eighty seven, that BB plus range. It was just it's just fun. I don't think there's anything in like I'll understand. This isn't a end game type stuff. Like. I like I'm going to advocate that this is one of the best screenplays of the year or this should be considered for best picture or anything, but this is one of the more enjoyable times I've had at the movies in, you know, in 2021, and I think that should mean something. That should account for something. The gravitas of Endgame built on our research project of one of our first research projects right. of the podcast. So that was something that paid off for us in such a spectacular fashion where the dramatic weight of Endgame was just so ingrained in us here Maybe if we did the Spider-Man rewatch, maybe if we, my brother was trying to get us to do it. I don't think we had the time post-pandemic. I wish we thought of it during the pandemic because that would have been a fun getaway. Uh, How much do you want the Amazing Spider-Man 3 versus Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 4 versus what do you want in the next Tom Holland Spider-Man? I I think we're going to get Tom Holland as the Daily Bugle right consultant maybe he'll be a pizza guy for a hot minute and then he'll be a he's got to pay for his rent somehow right but (laughs) so a couple questions do you want the sequels to the other movies or is that like a fanboy thing that'll never happen yeah i don't well i don't think toby Maguire. like i don't think those guys are going to come back to that and not for a couple years anyway i don't think they would they would be down to i mean look money is always there and and that speaks louder than anything with most of these things so who knows but i would be very surprised if we ever get a toby Maguire spider-man movie again i'm looking forward to how they're gonna make right the uh eddie brock and uh and peter parker being in different worlds because i would think that the sinister six world is where Eddie Brock is right now, wherever he went to. So we got to get Tom Holland to that world somehow if they're right now in different realities. I think Sony's trying to do the standalone stuff as much as possible before the crossover stuff. They're probably thinking, like, we got we got access to these characters, but I don't know if we're ready for the Sinister Six for a bit. And maybe that's where they're at. I, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think they're going to hold off on the crossovers as long as they can is my guess, which is why I wonder if they would build up more of a live-action Spider-Verse and do a Tony Tobey Maguire sequel or do a, you know, an Andrew Garfield, you know, trilogy or, you know, eventually they're going to get to Miles Morales in, uh, in, in a live-action, but they got two sequels planned for Into the Spider-Verse. Part one's coming out next year, animated-wise, so they don't need mm. to get there yet, maybe. I was... I was a little bummed out that we didn't get more Miles Morales, but I was glad for the Jamie Foxx, you know, lines in this movie, you know, kind of giving us the, uh, you know, the tease for the eventuality. Right. It should right. be an eventuality. Let's, let's I do agree, that. and I like that as well. Uh, that's our episode on Spider-Man 3, No Way Home, right? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to see what comes next from Sony, like we were kind of saying there at the end. And I, I, Talon's on for three more movies, right? That's what the, uh, the the trades were saying? I think I read that. So so he's going to stay in New York, and Zendaya and Battleon are going to go to That's going to be fascinating. Like, are, So is Zendaya out? Is, is that MJ? Is it going to be a, a, are we going to reintroduce ourselves to a new Gwen Stacy coming along? Is that going to be part of the Sony-verse? I don't know. There's a lot of unknown uh, that's going to be have to ans- be answered at some point in this universe coming up. But uh, 
I'd love to hear from our fans. I'd love to hear yeah. from the listeners. What do they think? What do they want? And what's uh, what do they think is coming next? And you can leave us all of those as well as any other comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available wherever you hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, if you appreciate what we do here, uh, we will not be able to thank you enough for doing so. Michael, Mm -hmm. uh, tell the good people what's coming next from us, and let's have some words of wisdom to end on. It is wise to mention your grade when we do final grades, and I did not do that. B plus 88 (laughs) is my final grade, so I'll just say words of wisdom. Be better at outros to myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is the part where I just get all, you know... You know, I just get—I'll have all this doubt. Oh, what did we just do? No, I think I think we had a good episode today. We're gonna have a couple more episodes before Christmas, uh, or maybe one episode before Christmas. We don't quite know yet. We're gonna see Nightmare Alley next, and then we're gonna do an Oscar race checkpoint on the shortlist. I think that's gonna be one episode. But if you see Nightmare Alley and a certain plot movement happens, and you want to do a full show on it, <laughs> I'm in. Now we got Licorice Pizza. Don't look up. Being the Ricardos, the Matrix. That we're going to weigh in on Nightmare Alley that we're going to weigh in on over the next two weeks in one way, shape, or form. We got the shortlist, like I said, uh, for an Oscar race checkpoint, and then uh, we got early January, which I think you know we'll watch a hero, we'll watch Cyrano, and mm. we'll get ready. To, I think we still have room to get ready for a certain horror movie. What is it? Pent pentathlon. We got a movie pentathlon miniseries kind of to do, in a way. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. We got to get cracking on that and figure out what we're doing. But I just saw a new preview where there's a metallic scream mask. I don't know how they're going to figure that one out, but okay, I'm so in. <laughs> Mike, Mike, and Oscar, we're going to break for a scream rewatch. You knew it was coming. We said it was coming. We're going to do it. And th- so that's coming sooner than later because Scream 5 is coming out on the 14th of January. So we'll mix that into our Oscars coverage because we have to. I think we both love that franchise, and you really love uh, the slasher genre in general. But you, yeah, you you're a Scream guy. Yeah, I was uh, I was raised on Scream. That was my babysitter for too many days, so uh, <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to that. Terrifying. And it's coming out two days after my birthday, so it all Perfect. it all comes full circle there, uh, guys. <laughs> when reality sucks. You can just, you know, change it according to this movie and and watch it with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.